For most people, parenting is a uh, skill set that parents acquire. It's a set of disciplines that are learned over time. But every once in a while, as a parent, you stumble into something that's really good. It really works very, very well. And that's what happened one day, uh, particularly for Leslie and uh, our son. Years ago, uh, when uh, our son was very, very little, he was having a really, really bad day. His behavior had gone from mischief to disobedience to disrespect, and he was straight on the road to out-and-out rebellion when Leslie stopped him in his tracks and got him to just think for a little bit. She calmed him down so that he would listen to her. And she wisely began to explain that uh, he was going to have a choice. He could continue with his current behavior and inevitably be punished. Or he could stop that bad behavior and not be punished. She clearly explained it again and then told him that she was going to go leave the room for just a few seconds. And when she came back, she wanted his decision. I can tell you on that day that he chose wisely. Leslie was able to explain to him his two simple choices so that he could make a wise decision. You see, wisdom rarely comes from foolishness or anger or even deceit. Wisdom most often comes from someone who is wise. When uh, Jesus taught, he did the exact same thing. He Explain things simply and clearly, hoping that you and I would make a wise decision as opposed to a foolish one. Uh, For the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time listening to the teaching of Jesus. We're going to go back uh, to the book of Mark, which is found in your New Testament, and we're going to listen to the teaching of of Jesus. And even though what he taught, he did so many centuries ago, his wisdom is stunningly applicable to our lives today. The book of Mark is one of four eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus and contains so many of these teaching moments that I am talking about. And what I'm going to be focusing on in this series, which is entitled, It's Your Choice, is listening to what Jesus taught and hearing him say, okay, now it's your choice. It's your choice between resentment and contentment. It's your choice between faith and fear. I wanted to do this series now because our culture, our community cannot continue on the road that we find ourselves. Our recent choices are having real consequences. Sometimes the smallest decisions that you and I make, the decision to respond with anger or forgiveness, impulsively buying something or patiently waiting to buy something, uh, or asking for wisdom to solve a problem, instead of using our own limited understanding, can have a lasting impact 
on the rest of our lives. For too long, so many of us have consumed our own foolishness. Our national diet of vengeance as entertainment has left us overweight with anger. Our national obsession with unfairness has left us with the ability to only focus on what we think someone else has. And our national drumbeat of tribalism has left us deaf to the needs of others, the wisdom of others, and deaf to the humanity of other people. In just a few weeks, our nation is going to head into another election, which right now has the potential to cause far more harm than it may heal. We need right now to consider who we're listening to and why. Because frankly, we need to make some different choices. And I'm not talking about candidates. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about how we live our lives. I'm talking about how we live a life that honors God. And a life that follows Jesus. We want everyone else to change. But the reality is the only power that we have is to change ourselves. By looking at the life of Jesus and listening to his wisdom, I'm hoping that we can make wise choices too. We'll begin in Mark chapter 2, where Jesus is challenged for quote-unquote not following the rules, ignoring the regulations. This was a constant problem for Jesus. The religious leaders of his day spent years amending what it meant to have a relationship with God into uh, a set of rules that uh, they made up. They made them up, they created them, and they were the ones that enforced them. In doing so, they became the sole judges of who was righteous and who was unrighteous, who was a saint and who was a sinner. One might think that a system like that would immediately be resisted as soon as it came out, but that's not what happened. You see, regulations like this don't arrive in volume format. They come one at a time, and little by little, people thought that those regulations would help them when in fact, they just made their relationship with God farther and farther apart. They turned a relationship with God into a minimal list of things that one might believe they need to do just so that they can keep God off of their back. And frankly, there are still a lot of people who would rather have it that way. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. The problem comes, though, when those who write those regulations force someone or want to force someone to abide by them. This is what Jesus was confronted with over And over again, the choice here is regulations or relationship. Let's listen to what Mark wrote. Mark chapter 2, starting with the 18th verse. Once, when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests fast? While celebrating with the groom? Of course not. 
They can't fast while the groom is with them. Someday the groom will be taken away from them, and, when they, and, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. They asked why Jesus and his disciples weren't fasting. Fasting, rather simply, is willfully not eating so someone can focus on greater, uh, often understood as spiritual, uh, issues or matters. Fasting was done for spiritual observances on some occasions, but most of the time, uh, fasting was done during times of personal or national stress, crisis. Religious leaders, however, had turned fasting into a spiritual discipline, a weekly practice, a regulation that now had a whole lot less to do with one's relationship with God and a whole lot more to do with making people think that they were religious, they were spiritual, they were righteous. For the most part, fasting is only meaningful when it arises from concerns that are so deep that someone decides they can actually do without food. Fasting is an outward sign of burden, a a measurable, visible stress on a person. Not something that you would want at a wedding. And this is the focus of Jesus' answer. His presence was a reason to celebrate, not mourn. Jesus' answer is you can't fast when you're having a party. That's the whole point. Regulations would say you can't have a party when you're supposed to be fasting. A Pharisee, this religious leader that you may have heard about from time to time, a Pharisee is a generic title of someone who enforces religious regulations and may, on occasion, even write some some of them. And by doing so, they determined who was and was not righteous. The regulations they enforced, listen now, were upward, inward, and the goal was to get people to see, uh, to say, hey, look look at them, look at how righteous they are, how godly they are. Look at me, I'm fasting today. Look at me, I'm praying right now. And by doing those things, they thought they could move upward in their favor with God. Doing those things meant that they were only focusing on themselves, an inward perspective. Upward, inward, and looking at me. The power power to define what was righteous also gave uh, them a a sense of false confidence, so to speak. Uh, To be able to know who is and who is not a sinner. Who is and who is not righteous. You may think that that only happened when Jesus was around centuries ago. But that mindset happens even today. I said this before to you. But again, I'll tell you that uh, many think that we're living in what is now known as a post-Christian world. So a term like righteous or righteousness really has changed in its sense and its definition. It still finds its basis in things that are spiritual or godly. 
but it now also might be considered as a term that could be applied for someone for uh, a, a, something that be, would be considered as secularly moral. Some may, may or may not be considered righteous depending upon who they do or do not vote for. You vote for the person I like, you're righteous. You vote for the person I don't like, and you are an unrighteous person. Some may or may not be considered righteous depending upon the word that they put in front of lives matter. You put the right word there, you're righteous. You put the wrong word there or refuse to say the word that I want you to say and you are unrighteous. It's a secular morality. For crying out loud, you and I might even be thought of as righteous or unrighteous if we wear a mask or don't wear a mask. If we believe in science or don't believe in science. And that all depends on who defines science this day or next week or next month or during the next crisis. Wherever it comes from. My point is, is that these kinds of regulations, wherever they come from and whoever uh, puts them out, give you and I an opportunity to berate people, demean people, separate, isolate, and condemn people at will. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, a friend of mine on Facebook was getting really, really frustrated with the political climate that we all find ourselves in. And I don't know who uh, actually is enjoying it. But my friend was so frustrated that she posted a particular picture. And this is the one that uh, you can see right now. People uh, want to separate uh, the nation, a matter of fact, the continent, into two particular areas. One is known as the United States of Canada, which is comprised of Canada plus Washington, Oregon, California, uh, Wisconsin, uh, uh, Minnesota, Illinois, all of the Northeast, and Pennsylvania and New Jersey. The United States of Canada will take those states and the rest of the states will just be left alone. And that is Jesus land. And my friend said this, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus land. Let that just sit there for a minute. Next month, we're going to talk about why there are people that feel that way. And in short, it might be that those who say they are following Jesus are actually behaving more like Pharisees than they are following Jesus. We're going to talk about that in some things that we'll bring next month. But the Pharisees of Jesus' day didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus' land either. Which is why they were challenging him the way they did. And in questioning Jesus, they weren't necessarily looking for an answer as much as they wanted to enforce the rules. You, enforce the ru- you follow the rules, you're in. You don't follow the rules, you're out. You're unrighteous. You're a sinner. Jesus, however, wasn't having any of this. But as we'll see in so many cases, Jesus' answer wasn't just a denial, it was rather enlightening. Remember, fasting is commonly understood as something people do when they're under great stress. 
And Jesus contends, though, that people who are with him aren't under stress. They're celebrating. They're at a party. He says, uh, he talks about a wedding reception. That's the party. And he's basically saying, how can you fast when we're having a party? His answer was so confounding to them, and he can see their confusion, so he decides to use uh, uh, common situations in everyday life to explain what he means. He talks about an old shirt and old wineskins. He says you shouldn't use a new piece of cloth to sew on top of the tear in an old shirt. Why? Because the old shirt is worn and it's been washed so, so many times that the fabric has shrunk wash after wash after wash. And when you take that new piece of cloth and you sew it over that tear, when you go to wash that shirt again, that garment, what's going to happen is that uh, new piece of cloth is going to shrink and it's going to stress that old shirt, that old garment, and it's going to tear it even more with an even worse tear and you're just going to have to throw it out. And then he kind of doubles down by saying the same thing with an old wineskin, an old leather container that would be used to hold wine. Uh, It's old and so it's stretched out. It might even be cracking a little bit. And when you uh, fill it with new wine, uh, that uh, leather container is going to tear. It's going to burst. The wine's going to pour out. Everything's going to be lost and you have to throw out the container. What's the lesson? Jesus is saying you really shouldn't combine something that's new with something that's old because both will be ruined. He's saying that the Pharisees and their, regulate, their regulations are old. And he, bringing a new relationship with God, is what needs to be accepted now. Jesus is the new cloth and the new wine. The Pharisees are the old shirt and the old leather. The two do not go together. Because of Jesus' presence, a new relationship with God is now possible. It's based on how one looks at Jesus, how one follows Jesus, how one accepts Jesus. Not based on how many times you pray, how many times you fast, what you talk like, and what you look like. That's the point. Remember that regulations are upward, inward, and say, hey, look at me. But a relationship, a relationship with God is downward, outward, and really is focused on bringing Jesus to people. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. We say that all the time. We say that every single week. And Jesus is saying that's what the new is. The point is Jesus didn't come to conform to a human religious system. But to do something entirely different. Completely new. Jesus rarely does what people think a Messiah, a Savior, is supposed to do. He's always doing something different. He's loving people that others think aren't deserving of love. He's blessing people that others think don't deserve the blessing. Jesus is always doing what you and I do not expect. One author, I like the way uh, he said it. He says, while we look for Jesus among the priests, he is with sinners. 
While we look for him among the free, he is with prisoners. And while we look for him in glory, he is bleeding on a cross. In bringing the new, Jesus removes the power to determine who is righteous and who is not. Jesus is the one who defines who's a sinner now. And he doesn't make that definition so that he, condemn, he can condemn people. He saves them. He goes after them. So the choice is this. Do you want to worship God with regulations? Or in a relationship? Do you want to argue about who's fasting enough? Or do you want to celebrate with Jesus? That's the choice that you can make. I want to give you a few seconds so you can think about it for a minute. Oh yeah, there's still the matter of that party thing. Author Thomas Long tells of one time where he was staying in a motel in a large city. He walked into the entrance area and there was a notice on the elevator door. It said, party tonight, room 210, 8 p.m., everyone is invited. He imagined the stereotypical odd assortment of people who might actually attend that party. Salesmen, people who were tired from traveling, People who were bored or people who were just curious. All looking uh, for a break from a mundane day and thinking that they don't want to be left out if there's something exciting happening. It turns out that the sign was just a practical joke. It was a hoax. But he was actually disappointed when he found out that it was a joke. And he wrote this. For a brief moment... Those of us staying at the motel were tantalized by the possibility that there just might be a party going on somewhere to which everyone has been invited. A party where it didn't make much difference who we were when we walked in the door or what motivated us to come. A party where we could come out of boredom, loneliness, curiosity, responsibility, eagerness to be in fellowship, or simply out of a desire to come and see what was going on. A party where it really didn't matter what got us in the door as much as what happened to us once we were inside. Jesus isn't a hoax. And his invitation to you and me is not a practical joke. It's not contingent upon how good you are or what you've done. It's not about how much you pray or how much you fast. Jesus is enough. And if you decide to follow him, you are in. So now it's time to choose. Regulations or relationship. If you want that relationship, you can have it by acknowledging Jesus as your Savior, by believing in Him, by being baptized into Him, and doing what all of us are trying to do to the best of our ability. Just follow Him faithfully. It's your choice.
Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the simple way that he teaches. More importantly, God, thank you for the love in which he accepts us and forgives us and blesses us and enriches us, gives us wisdom to make good choices in life. Father, help us to choose wisely. We pray this in his name. Amen.